Welcome to Pass the Mic. In this episode, Faye, Claire, Brian, and G discuss addictions. They challenge the notion of what constitutes addiction that is not solely centered on substance use. Enjoy this thought-provoking conversation. So the majority of my life, I haven't really been exposed to addiction that has to do with substance abuse. Um, I guess I was lucky in that way, but personally, I have been dealing with an addiction myself, which I didn't know was an addiction till Corona hit. And it was my addiction to food. And I used to just let it consume my entire life. It was all I thought about. All I wanted to do was just eat. And I just had no boundaries or a relationship with food. And it's funny because when we started like talking about this project and we decided to do addictions, I was a bit worried because I was like, but I've never been addicted to anything. I don't know anyone that's been addicted to anything. So how can I relate? But then just going through this stage in my life where I'm figuring out that, you know, there are other things that can have that control over you, such as food, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I like how you said that, Faye, because it's really true that addiction goes far beyond the scope of substance abuse, right? Like people can be addicted to many things. Um, I know for a long time there, when I was younger, um, I struggled with addiction to cutting and that was um, a very hard obstacle to overcome. And oftentimes, when you're dealing with addiction, you replace one addiction with another addiction to overcome that addiction. Um, Some might call this harm reduction, but for me, um, I replaced that addiction with smoking. So now, um, you know, I have a smoking addiction, which is, you know, just as serious and negative impacts on health as any addiction there is. Um, There's also discussions around, you know, addictions to gambling, addictions to spending money, addictions to shopping, addictions to sex. Like you can be addicted to anything that you're dependent on. And I think that it's valuable to notice that addiction just isn't, doesn't just stop at substance abuse. There's, there's a lot more to it. And it's a very, you know, psychological response when you are dependent on something um, and it doesn't have to be a substance. So question, do you think that all these other addiction are equivalent to like addiction of like uh, drugs and, uh, or alcohol? Yes. You think so? So why? Why, why don't people talk about these other addictions as much as they do uh, alcohol and drugs? Because I know as much as it's, like, more prevalent and, like, there's more, like, going on, like, with uh, drugs and alcohol, I feel like the other addictions, too, they have their, like, fair share Definitely. of problems, too. I feel like they're just not talked about as much as, like, in the form of addiction. Because even what Claire mm-hmm. just said, that she had addiction to cutting – even working in the psychiatric field, I completely forgot that cutting is, is an addiction. Like, um, mm. to yourself as a form of addiction. So I feel like just as society, we've just shied away from, like, promoting that, you know, you can be addicted to sex. You can be addicted to food. You can be addicted to alcohol. But you can also be addicted to random stuff, you know? <laughs> well, I think it's... I think it's important to recognize too, like um, if we want to dive into logistics behind it, like Gabor Mate did a really awesome research on 
where addiction comes from. And I think that it's important to recognize that all addictions come from a form of trauma and pain. Um, A lot of people use it to, you know, cope with the stressors of their daily lives. So something that's really valuable to our practice and to, you know, just information in general is recognizing that every behavior has a reason behind it. And a lot of the times addiction comes from a place of deeply rooted um, trauma and pain and suffering. So, you know, for for me, um, addiction to cutting came from self-esteem issues and not feeling like I fit in and having people, you know, bully me throughout school. That really caused me to have a negative impact on my body, which ultimately caused me to not care what happens to it. Um, and I think that that's really um, a primary focus for all of us here today is you know, how do we work with people with severe addictions while managing the pain and suffering that they endured to kind of start up that addiction to begin with? I have a question. Um, Mm -hmm. You know how you said kind of we bounce from one addiction to another, sometimes it looks in the form of harm reduction. Is it possible to jump to a healthy addiction? Do you guys think so? I think it is possible, but then again, what do you classify as a healthy addiction, right? Because ultimately you are still depending on something. So say you get addicted to the gym, then it becomes all you ever do. It becomes how you perceive yourself. You might see yourself Mm -hmm. as lesser than if you're not getting that workout in that day, or if you're unable to, I don't know. In my opinion, what, I mean, <laughs> what, what, what? That will only benefit you. It will only promote good health. Like, yeah, there is what no that be? negative from the going to the gym. You yeah, yeah. overdose from working out too much. That's you know, true. Because like, what? Tired, or your muscle hurts, right? Wow. But what about <clears throat> your brain? Right, because your brain is a psychological domain, and if you are convincing yourself that you have to you know, be a certain way, appear a certain way within society, then you're losing focus Mm -hmm. on, you know, inclusivity and everybody being its own. And, you know, you're you're kind of trying to conform to almost a way of appearing in society. Um, I don't know. In my opinion, I don't know if there is such thing as a healthy addiction. Do, like, if we're talking about the gym, a lot of people do it for themselves. No one is doing Mm -hmm. it because Frederick Mm -hmm. is fat or Frederick thinks I'm skinny. If I'm going Mm -hmm. to the gym every day, I'm doing it solely for myself, not to look some way for society. So I'm wondering how, if I go to the gym every single day, maybe even at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., because that's what I'm doing for my own well-being, my own mental health, my own physical health, who is anybody else to tell me that it's a bad addiction because I'm doing it more than they would. Well, like, I, like everyone's point is very valid. Mm-hmm. But one thing, <clears throat> one thing I've observed, especially with like, like being part of a recovery community, um, there are guys that, you know, uh, one thing I've learned even working at the treatment center back in BC, the guys that were all jacked, like, like, like they look like huge, right? they like when you actually got to work with them they're the most scared they're absolutely the most scared because they have gone through some form of trauma like Claire said um and one thing I've observed is that addiction is so complex where especially with like someone who's an addict 
like you know it's just like the brain like the way our brain is it's like we can obsess about something and what is it i had a friend who just relapsed in um like near during reading break and the reason like there was a lot of underlying issues but he went to the gym religiously and he basically was eating clean and you know like you know working out like basically three times a day and stuff like that while going to work and stuff like that or like throughout the week and when the gym was shut down it messed him up and he relapsed and the only thing was it's <clears throat> it's also um it's like body dysmorphia as well you know because of like image right because you see some of the guys that go to the gym and it's like you know they're so self-obsessed with themselves about like you know the way they look it's and it's gone to the point where it's not just women as well you know like even men now are they go to the gym they substitute it yes it is they, it's like you got to find that balance right where when you put so much emphasis on one thing and one thing i will tell you this like i've been to gyms where there's people who are selling steroids like mm -hmm. selling steroids right so it's like you are like you know like substituting let's say substances to something healthy but then it's up to the individual of like what direction they want to take where it's like do i just want to go to the gym and get healthy or you get immersed into a different lifestyle like where you know you're introduced to people who are using like anabolic steroids um um human growth hormones and stuff like that just to get this certain like image and it's it's so complex where you know even just with people with like gambling too right like there's you can get addicted to anything for instance you all know that i'm addicted to sneakers you all know that right <laughs> like yeah. but the thing is like six years ago i was addicted to methamphetamines right so if you think about it what's better sneakers or methamphetamines right it's like, you got to figure out what's what. And I've taken a step back from buying sneakers because to be frank, I'm getting to that point where I realize like, like time to grow up, you know, like, you know, it's well, like. I think you said something really interesting there too, G, is like, no matter what you are addicted to, there's going to be some form of negative outcomes because of it, because we aren't dependent on ourselves anymore as society, you know, we're, we're dependent on external factors to make us feel and behave a certain way. And whether it's the gym, whether it's eating salads for a week, whether it's, you know, whatever you can come up with, there's always going to be negative implications in some way, shape or form. You know, the gym can be very expensive. It can be very draining on your body. You can tear ligaments, you know, it, it becomes almost a physical issue. Um, whereas buying sneakers, again, huge financial issues that you can run into when spending that type of money. And, you know, um, hoarding and that type of thing when you have way too many and you can't get rid of them so i think it's really important to notice that no matter what type of addiction you're struggling with if you're not dependent on yourself to be feeling you know happiness and fullness and fulfillment you're ultimately depending on external factors yeah let me add a piece on the gym thing because like from my experience when i started going to the gym it was honestly like a it was like on a healthy mindset and like I just wanted to get right with myself. It wasn't like too much to change my body. 
it was more so to like strength, strengthen myself and become like a better like person like physically right but like I noticed after a month two months I started like really like taking an obsession and looking at other people and seeing like their progress and just seeing like where they're at and looking at myself and it, it was almost like I wasn't like getting anywhere and my mindset like completely shifted now it, it was like more focused on trying to be like this person or like trying to be like that guy like oh I want to back like that that guy but like or uh <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want to trust like that guy so like I noticed it like became unhealthy that I had to like step a step back and kind of like find myself again and then uh for so I took like a a couple months off before I went back to the mindset that I was at but I find well, it hard not to like be looking at other people and seeing that to me they're probably looking at me like whoa like this guy's only benching like uh what 85 pounds and I'm benching like 400 like he's nothing compared to me you know what I'm saying oh my well and what what happens when that dependency is gone right so I mean yeah. everything has a timeline on it you're not going to be able to depend on the gym until you're 85 years old you know so like yeah. what happens when you lose the thing that you're most dependent on you ultimately spiral in some senses right mm-hmm. well yeah like on a personal note for myself right like like just because I haven't used any like like meth or heroin and like basically at the end of the month, it'll be seven years, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but it's like, I can always fall back to that, you know? Like, the only thing is, it's like, like, especially like in the human service field, right? It's like, you have these people who are in the field who work, who basically are working with people with addictions, but unless you like actually like experienced it, like, what is it like, it's the cravings are I I don't know what it is I I I don't know how to really elaborate it it's so complex because like I know I have an addictive personality for instance right it's like I can obsess like I I, like I obsess a lot about certain things since like going back to sneaker right like I'm like oh there's a sneaker drop but there's a sneaker drop every week and I think to myself I'm like oh okay but then, you know, there's like, you know, some people would say like, oh, willpower, you know, like you just got to not, right? But then you realize the longer you've like worked on yourself, you realize, you know, like you got to find different avenues where, you know, you got to like work on the mental, the spiritual, emotional, and like physical aspects of your life. It's like a balance, balancing act. And like, I just feel that our society as a whole as well, right? Like there's so much more pressure now than ever um and we're not i think also just like the external influences of just society as a whole like we're not really the most like there's a lot more bad like i can't i don't want to say a lot more bad but there's just so much negative pressures or just like negative expectations from external like resources like just outside Mm -hmm. sources it really affects the human being where you know like if you think about it like we talk about self-care all the time but if you think about it like how many people like when they had a long ass day at work of any sorts it's like oh i'm gonna have a glass of wine 
or, you know, or they substitute something, which alcohol is a depressant. But then it's like, there's people who go to the gym. It's like, okay, they feel good about themselves. But at the same time, that's a, it's like, there's a lot of positives in going to the gym. But then again, it's like, what's, what about the other aspects of their life, right? That is it like, you're physically and mentally like releasing a lot of like endorphins and serotonin when you go to the gym and stuff like that. It's so complex. Like it's such a complex issue. So like, let me, let me start off with an example. When, when COVID started, uh, this one girl I know, she wasn't like very like spiritual or religious, but uh, after like a couple months, she basically started like connecting more and more to God. And then I noticed that she take she took like on too much of a liking to like the religion and just like uh quoting scripture here and there here and there like always talking about it like it was almost like a like a everyday like need for her to like just you know come at me with like uh spiritual facts and to go kind of go back to what uh we were saying about like healthy uh addictions and, and bad addictions would you consider a spiritual, the spiritual aspect like a, a negative or a positive? Can it really be negative? Well, I think, again, that's very subjective because, yeah. like, what gives me the right to, or any human being, the right to have any opinion about someone's uh, religious ideologies or spiritual beliefs, if that's helping them cope with this yeah. era, with, like, pandemic, with COVID and mm-hmm. stuff like that, all to you, right? Like, I would definitely say, like, me, it's been, like, for instance, like, the recovery community has been hit hard right now. Mm -hmm. The recovery community has lost a lot of people or people have relapsed. Like, I've lost, I would say, with the community that I made in Edmonton, four or five people have died because of COVID, because of isolation. They were using alone. They relapsed on their own. They didn't reach out. Um, but also, yeah, we have like Zoom meetings, right? But then again, it's like the confidentiality, the anonymity and stuff like that, right? That you have to put into factors. Um, I would definitely say like, we're in a very complex era right now, especially with this pandemic, where a lot of, this is like the norm, right? Like, if you think about it, yeah, we're doing a podcast, but if you think about it, I haven't really seen Claire, or Meg, or Faye, or you, Brian, like, face-to-face, like, since, what, last semester for, like, yeah, a couple of weeks, and that was it. So, if you look at it, it's, like, it's gotten so, like, like, right now, like, the obsession about the pandemic is so huge, but people are dying from suicide, people are dying from... Um, and overdoses and the numbers are going up because and people aren't really reporting it right because mm-hmm. of the isolation because of certain things what is it like um, when the casinos opened it was jam-packed but then they shut them down again right if you think about it more and more people are gambling um, more and more people are drinking it's been proven that um, more and more people are drinking oh um, 37%. Yeah. Like, because it's like, you know, some people and, have more jobs. 
And going back to um, a point that I have made earlier on is, you know, addiction is often rooted in as a response to trauma and pain, right? Um, and as society, we are all collectively grieving COVID and the things that we've lost, tangible and intangible. Um, there's a lot of things that we just don't have access to anymore, a lot of supports that are no longer available to us. And I think a lot of the times addiction comes from that. Addiction comes from fear, from from being, you know, trying to cope with such a global change on a, like a scale that's beyond our capacity to even comprehend, um, which I think is why a lot of the times addiction is becoming so prominent in within COVID, right? I know like the opioid crisis has skyrocketed since the start of COVID because what else is there to do, right? We're all told to stay home. We're all told to like isolate and not be around people. And we, we've been taught that the world is a scary place and it's not safe for us. Um, and when you lose a sense of security that you once had, you're ultimately going to depend on something to make you feel safe again, right? Yeah. And that's the other thing right now. Um, the cost of drugs, it's high, really high on certain levels. There's a lot of dirty drugs right now. Um, drug dealers are taking, like, just trying to make a profit, right? They don't care. It's expendable, whatever. Like, a life is expendable to their eyes. Um, and I think it's it's gone to the point where like, COVID, with addictions, what is it? Even kids now, more than ever, are addicted to video games, right? If you think about it, like, they're in front of a screen. This is the norm, right? Like even, yeah, they go to school, but it's like, like no matter what, like it, there's so many things that I feel like I don't want to fall into a rabbit hole, but I like, I don't want to say like the government's like controlling us and aspects of like, you know, electronics and, you know, substances and stuff like that. But, you know, we're not really talking about like people who are, you know, the thing about people with addiction, they need people and like, who are using substances like recovery has been hit hard right now with a lot of people um even talking to friends who are frontline workers who work at like wall street and george spady they're saying like yo like even if we got to try to meet with them on the streets to give them a narcan kit and stuff like that and there's this like this stigma too right if you're homeless or whatever like <laughs> it's like people who are transient or you know considered like homeless or you know like drug addicts and stuff that's like they can't get in like what is it because of covid it's like they're like okay they're more acceptable or they're more like you know and for them to go even into a pharmacy right to like get their to get a narcan kit you know there's judgment you know there's like because like we're so much ingrained in fear of like covid but also at the same time, I'm like, this is still a human being. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you're still a human being and you're being treated like, like not even like a human. So it's very dehumanizing. Um, I think. I'll pretty much say that COVID definitely impacted addictions, right? Yeah. Like, it, I would say, especially with the younger ages, like the high school kids, elementary school kids, I don't know, from like two years ago or even when we started the program, I just feel like we were working with high-risk youth, but the 
percentage of high-risk youth now because of everything that's going on in the world is just getting higher and higher and higher. And obviously, it's just going to keep rising and rising. That's crazy, hey? It's not getting any better. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? Because a lot of the kids, yeah. like a lot of the kids that we work with or have worked with, you know, they just look at, like, they think they're invincible, right? When you're young, you think you're, you can rule the world, but like, this is their reality. It's like, oh, this is like the norm. And I think it's also hard as like, like us being in the field, the level of like interaction we have with some of the kids that we work with are very limited because what is it like we, you know, how many, how many of us had to quarantine because of let's say practicum or because of work, because of like an incident that you had no control over. Because let's say a kid went AWOL and then came back and we didn't know where he went and then boom, COVID. So there's a lot of things. Um, so just let's transition to treatment options. Um, okay, well, I'll talk about this. I know I've talked a lot, so I will, I, like, I'll just start it. And then, well, gee, you have experience, right? You said you've been sober for about coming up seven years. What were some treatment options that were provided to you that actually helped you? Okay, well, for me, like, I'm, like, I know most of you know I'm from Vancouver, but I, like, I was entrenched in the downtown east side, which is, like, the worst part of Vancouver and British Columbia, and basically, I was a street youth, basically, I was using IV needles, and, um, and, you know, I was using puddle water to shoot up my dope, because I didn't realize you can get saline, and, you know, I basically, I don't know why it was the turning point, but it was like, I think because like, I realized I was no longer a youth, like my services were getting diminished that I was like, okay, so time to get my shit together. But also there was personal reasons why I wanted something to change because I was seeing friends dying left, right, and center and thinking that I'm going to be next. And I uh, went to a shelter, a youth shelter, and then after that, I went to a detox and detox, like here in Alberta, there's two main ones in Edmonton, um, which I believe it's not enough. There's nothing related to youth because in BC, they actually have, they have three youth detoxes where it's specifically for kids who under the age of 24. You're still considered a youth until you're eight. No, one place is 21, one place is 24, and another one's only 19 and under. But, like, I think BC's done a better job. And then, like, here with treatment options, for instance, Alberta has Henwood, and there's a lot of recovery places where it's, like, 12-step model, where maybe it doesn't fit for certain people. But also, for young people, we have, what, PCHAD, right? Where it's it's such a, to me, a very broken way of getting a kid to get help if they don't want it. Because one thing I've learned is like, from my own personal experience, if you want treatment or if you want help, it's like, you know, that saying, you can walk a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. That's basically what it is. Like I wanted the water, you know, like I wanted the help. And one thing I've noticed even about treatment centers as well, if you are let's say on welfare or Alberta works or whatever um, you basically there's the wait time is a lot longer than 
someone who is private pay because private pay it's like oh you have the money okay we'll definitely bring you in there's a certain recovery houses in the city of edmonton who you know they play the system like where they're like oh you're on asia okay perfect or you're on um upper works okay perfect because that's a guaranteed income because the money automatically goes to the, the place but then it's like it's very stringent with um like a lot of places it's like okay you got to stay clean you get piss tested or you know you have to go to meetings like 12 cent meetings because they a lot of places feel because it's free right so it's like it's like even like treatment centers it's a business where it's like the people who own it they're making bank because statistically i heard i remember what a counselor said to me when i was like brand new in treatment he's like two of you will make it two of you will die and the rest of you will, will be in this cycle and one cycle is basically you're you burn your life down to the ground then you end up in a shelter then detox then treatment and the thing about treatment here in alberta there's henwood that's like the initial go-to and you're only there for 90 days where which if you're, if you're withdrawing and stuff like that like it takes longer than that and like it's just a system it's like rolling people out right you said something really interesting about the lack of resources available for children and youth, especially, um, you know, everything is voluntary. And a lot of the times our children and youth are not in a position to volunteer themselves to get help because yeah. of the pain and suffering that they're experiencing. So mm -hmm. like you mentioned, you know, peach ad, that's not voluntary. That one is, um, you know, confinement. But the problem is, is that confinement is is not long is you don't you're not there long enough um and when you're there you make more connections with kids that aren't ready to get help and be clean and you end up leaving with more ins than you had when you went in there and the, to begin with right mm -hmm. um and i think you know we also have like adac um which is addiction treatment alberta centers or something like that and adac is essentially addiction counselors and they are able to connect you with various treatment programs throughout the city throughout alberta however when we look at that again is it is voluntary so when you have you know a 13 year old that has a crippling meth addiction um and cannot see the other side of what life could be like without that addiction how do they get help when they don't want it and you know it could ultimately cost their lives but they're still kids so yeah. how do we protect our children better within society to ensure that they have access to the resources that they need to be successful claire your points like are very valid one thing i've learned about being in the field it's like a harm reduction route right where you know provide them with like you know narcan provide them with like clean supplies give them resources and stuff like that it's like addictions with especially with young people it's so complex because we don't i feel like this province really you know it's very like old school still with like you know just sheer abstinence right like this or you know it's like that old school like mentality of like you know like you dug yourself into this you know be a like man up and get your shit out right like deal with it right and there's so much trauma 
that especially with like the kids that I've worked with who are addicted to something, they're suppressing their feelings, right? And it's been sci- it's been scientifically proven that the amount of teratogens that you start using at is where you stop your development. Like for instance, I'm 32 years old, but let's be honest here, all five, all four of you, like I don't like like a 32 year old, you know what I mean? But I got clean and sober at 24. And but I gotta remember when did I start like doing dope and even marijuana, right? Like I started smoking and drinking at the age of 14, you know? And then I started getting into the heavier stuff in my early 20s. And just now, like, I might have stopped using at 24, but I got to remember, like, where my brain development is. And it's, it's so complex, um, like, how we can support them. It's like, you know, we have kids who, let's say, are under government care. Like, I don't, it's so, it's complex, Claire. Like, we can talk about this for eons, but, like, I think for us as, like, child and youth care workers um, and future practitioners is, like, you know, just not be the expert and go on the journey with the kids, you know, and, or the people that we are going to help and, you know, just meeting them where they're at and, you know, just have some faith and have some hope that, when the time comes, like the kids will, that we work with, or families that we have to work with, are willing to, you know, take the help, right? We just got to be a beacon. That was a perfect conclusion, G. I just want to share one quick quote from Gabor Mate because he's my ultimate favorite addiction specialist. Um, trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. And I think that it's important to notice that trauma is ultimately the root cause of these severe addictions that we have. And my dog is barking, so I will mute myself now. But (laughs) I think it's important to notice that, you know, we are faced with so many psychological and physiological responses to the pain and suffering that we as humans endure. And a lot of the times this comes out in the form of addiction of some sort, um, whatever that might be. I actually met the guy. So yeah, back in BC, uh, um, I was basically a client at the um, Portland hotel and like basically just getting supplies and shit when I was in my addiction. Mm. and he helps he works down there and he has researched like people who you want to see like you think 84 like 82nd street and like 118th is bad if you ever get a chance to go to vancouver like my stopping ground was made in hastings yeah and i think you know gee there's actually something coming up and i don't know if you guys would be interested in it but i definitely am um he's touring with bruce perry and i think that that's a really cool duo to attend so i will look for the information and i'll send it out to to everyone because i think that would be super awesome 